obligation. Uh, hi, Ray. Hi, good evening, Art. Uh, good, good to have you on the program. It's been a long time. Oh, nice to be with you again. Uh, I guess the way to begin is to begin, and that is to go back and find out how you begin, how did you meet up with and learn about, um, Ms. Luca? Well, it was back in 1976, and, uh, the, uh, Massachusetts MUFON group uh, was looking for a good close encounter of the fourth kind to look into, and Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who uh, was chief scientific consultant to the Air Force's Sign Grudge and Blue Book, uh, forwarded uh, Betty's uh, letter to us. Uh, we sent an investigator to talk to Betty to see what kind of a person she was, and then instigated an investigation that uh, lasted between... Uh, 1977 and 1978, and uh, resulted in a three-volume, 528-page report for peer review. Uh, Betty, of course, uh, was abducted from her home on January 25, 1967, and uh, underwent a, a remarkable abduction experience, which is uh, uh, paralleled by you know many other cases uh, since then. Um. What, I'm, if I might back up a little bit, when you go and you investigate a case like this or any other, what kind of questions do you ask? Or have you learned to ask certain key questions that will help you determine fairly quickly what you've got on your hands? I guess the first thing we did was do a character reference check on, on Betty to see if, uh, you know, she was of uh, good repute. Mm -hmm. And that worked out uh, very well. Had her fill out forms and interrogated her as regarding how much she could remember basically all she could remember consciously and uh, her father could remember was uh, she was in the kitchen and her children and uh, parents were out in the living room and uh, a bright orange, reddish orange light flashed through the pantry window and the lights began blinking off and on and uh, then went out. And uh, Betty's father rushed in to see what would happen and he went to the pantry window and saw a bright light out in the field and then saw these strange creatures uh, coming toward the house. They really weren't walking. They were sort of floating up and down. They stopped at the window and looked at him, and uh, that's the only thing he could remember. And then they came right through the, the wall, through the door, and uh, put Betty's family into a state, I guess, for want of a better term, suspended animation, and convinced her uh, to come uh, with them uh, out to uh, a craft that was in the field, which... She did. They floated up into the craft, and the smaller craft uh, went up and entered a, a larger craft, and she was given the typical physical examination, etc. Uh, uh, we put her under hypnosis, her daughter under hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Her father uh, didn't want anything to do with it, <laughs> but uh, they both relived complimentary accounts of what had happened. Uh, we were interested uh, in having her sit down with a psychiatrist and uh, have a psychiatric evaluation, which she did. And she volunteered it, actually. Uh, she's a, a very devout fundamentalist Christian, and this was no part of uh, her belief system, and she thought she was going crazy when these memories surfaced. So she actually asked if uh, we could do this, and, of course, we were pleased because we were embarrassed to ask her <laughs> if she would like to sit down with someone like that. And uh, sure. she passed in flying colors, and she also... I uh, took a lie detector test, as did her daughter. Uh, when all was said and done, we were convinced at least that uh, she and her daughter believed that this uh, had happened uh, to her. And, of course, since then, 
many of the abduction experiences uh, that have been reported parallel uh, many aspects of uh, uh, of her account. This was just the beginning, though. Uh, we found that uh, she had had abduction experiences way back in childhood as we continued to uh, probe her background. So there was a, as you said, there were four books based on four what I call phase, investiga phase investigations between 1977 and 1994, uh, and uh, basically uh, records uh, her experiences. Okay, Ray, I want to ask, stop you at this point uh, in the investigation and, and tell you what's coming up, but you really already know about it. I got a panicked call, and I mean panicked, from Bud Hopkins uh, Friday, and he said that Nova is coming out and doing a series on his work and that of John Mack at Harvard, and basically it's going to be a hit piece, and it's going to basically try to rip to pieces the kind of work they've done, charging false memory syndrome, induced uh, uh, memories by uh, the examiner, that sort of thing. Uh, if somebody were to come and examine uh, Betty's case uh, with regard to the kind of examination done, would they find room to make those kind of charges, or what kind of uh, safety uh, was was used in the investigation? Well, no leading questions were asked uh, under hypnosis. Uh, basically, we just let Betty uh, relive the account and uh, uh, sort of provided uh, some comfort to her when things got real rough. But the basic thing is to not ask leading questions and just let the person uh, relive uh, the uh, the abduction account. Now, Betty uh, was like a a blank uh, blackboard. I mean, she had no interest in uh, unidentified flying objects, and UFO abductions were fairly unknown back then to most people. Uh, so she was a. I thought she was a good case to investigate because she put a a, a religious spin on her uh, experience. Yes. This is this is all she knew, uh, and she thought, well, this must be something to do with her. Religion, which I thought was great because she didn't interpret it as an extraterrestrial uh, experience or, or something like that. So it was like uh, taking a child, really, and uh, and, uh, and and probing the mind of someone that really uh, didn't have false memories, uh, uh, you know, UFO buff that read an awful lot of things about abductions, which, of course, really didn't exist in those days. Like, uh, the interrupted journey had been published and so forth, but again, she wasn't interested. Uh, I think that no matter how vigorous uh, UFO abduction research is, and uh, the Allagash abductions, I think we did an excellent job on in uh, documenting that particular case. No matter what you do, uh, there are going to be people out there that are equal in authority to Dr. John Mack, for example, mm -hmm. will take the opposite side. They don't believe it happened, and they start off with a premise it couldn't have happened, so they come up with alternate uh, explanations for it, which is which is good. But the problem with something like NOVA is, uh, and they did this with the UFO phenomenon several years back, they will interview people, and they did, Dr. Hynek, for example. Mm -hmm. They will take things out of context as regarding what they said, and then they will put their own spin on it to oh, yes. come up with their own premise. Oh, yes. I've got ten pages from Bud of exactly that sort of thing that they have apparently done. And he's extremely upset. And uh, John Mack, of course, doesn't need this either. 
No, he doesn't. And you no, know, what they should really do is have each person, you know, uh, tell the audience about their research, what they've done, and so forth, uh, and the pros and the cons, and then let them have it out with each other and and, and have a rather uh, sort of a refereed uh, debate rather than uh, uh, sucking these people into something that they think is going to help their research and then finding out that what they're doing is uh, sort of trying to slam the door on it. I think the abduction experiences have become so well known through a number of TV programs and books like my own and Bud Hopkins and Dr. Mack and so forth mm-hmm. that uh, someone out there, uh, conservative science, whatever you want to call it, decides that uh, something has to be done, so they get, uh, just like they did with the UFO phenomena several years ago, get uh, <clears throat> some psychiatrists together and so forth and put them on NOVA, which is a very respected program, and uh, use that as a vehicle to try to uh, squelch all this stuff. <laughs> well, the tip-off, of course, is uh, that it's driven by an agenda. They have decided prior to the program exactly what kind of program they're going to do. And by hook or crook, they're going to make it come out that way. It's a shame uh, that Bud and uh, John didn't realize that from the outset and, and, and try to get something on paper where they would, uh, I don't know what they did, but uh, make sure that uh, what they wanted to say would be on TV. Unfortunately, mm. they'll editorialize it uh, according to their, their whim. <laughs> well, that's the problem with television, uh, Ray, is that you can even take something in context and then bring on somebody else uh, with another piece of tape directly behind that person, showing the first to be seemingly ridiculous. Right. That's the ability of the cutting room floor. All right, well, you did, you've done four books now. Uh, yeah, and, nine books, actually. But well, books, not, so. no, on Luca. Right. And my question is, uh, with what you've told me about her experience thus far, uh, it that's a lot of material. That's a lot of material. So... Apparently, the follow-up books then looked further into her background from that first incident. Uh, yes. Uh, what we did was, uh, the first incident, she relived a uh, needle being placed up her nose and mm. a little BB-like object being taken out of it, and we wondered how that got there. And when the hypnotist tried to find out, she became so upset that he felt he didn't want to put her through that. And... Uh, so it was just sort of left for a while, and uh, then we went back with a phase two investigation with another hypnotist, and uh, he let her go through it. <laughs> and uh, it happened uh, when she was a 13-year-old, uh, and probing deeper, we found out that uh, it went even further back uh, to uh, you know, an earlier age. So we documented all of that in the Andreas and Affair Phase two, and... Uh, <clears throat> We got up to 1973, and again, uh, she became so traumatized that we decided not to go any further. And later on, again, we picked it up and, and tried again, and uh, it was interesting how that happened, but it's a long story. But uh, we picked up at 1973 and watches too, and, and progressed uh, uh, through several abduction experiences that she uh, had. Ray, you use the term paraphysical uh, a lot. I know what paranormal is. Uh, paraphysical, uh, would that uh, would that mean a, a visit of the fourth type uh, in which there were was actual physical contact, or you were taken aboard a ship, or what does it mean? Well, basically, 
many of the UFO reports that we've been getting over the years involve some very strange, what you might call paranormal phenomena or abilities associated with them. And many researchers don't know what to do with this stuff. Uh, they're hardcore, nuts and bolts hypothesis researchers that feel that UFOs are hardware from uh, another solar system. And so a lot of this information just gets tossed out as a, a frivolous or something that has nothing to do with the subject. And I decided that it was time to uh, look at this and uh, publish something on it. Paraphysical basically means something that can behave as if it had mass and weight uh, on one end of the spectrum. But on the other end of the spectrum, doesn't seem to have either. For example, you have UFOs that can take right-angle turns with no curve radius. Uh, you have UFOs appear visually on radar at point A, and then suddenly sort of disappear and reappear at point B with no flight path between the somewhere, then come back from somewhere from another dimension or whatever. Then you have UFOs that land, and uh, they exhibit mass and weight. You have tri tripod marks, uh, quadruped marks, penetrometers indicate that there were tons sitting on those uh, uh, struts or whatever made the, the, the marks. But you have a paradox here. You have something that behaves as if it had mass and weight at some times, and other times it appears that it, it's uh, weightless. Uh, the falling leaf motion, for example, it's, it's almost like something that uh, is almost uh, lighter than air. Uh, wobbling, hovering on its axis, bobbing on the air like it, uh, like a cork bobbing on the water. Hmm. But there are a lot of other things that uh, are curious about the UFO. Uh, you have uh, not only them appearing and disappearing visually and on radar, you have their entities, uh, like in the Andreasen case, uh, pass through solid structures with ease, you know, through walls, through doors. You have them, the entities appear uh, as a ball of light and then uh, become an entity and then disappear within a ball of light. And these are reports now. I'm saying if you take these things at face value. Again, in and out, uh, do you lean toward the other dimension theory? Uh, what I'm doing is investigating that and saying that there's a, a lot of uh, evidence for this. I know Dr. Heineck and Dr. Valet, uh were coming to this conclusion, and I thought that, uh, you know, where are these people going? Because they was, <laughs> they were sort of my idols and the... I felt that this was nonsense, but entities communicate uh, with mental telepathy. Uh, they uh, create, and this is interesting, they seem to create and conduct abductions, uh, not physical abductions, but you have these abductees, for example, taken from a car or bed or a field and see their bodies left behind. And they undergo the same type of abduction experience as someone who has a physical abduction experience. And even more strange is the fact that after being abducted and physically examined, well, say physically examined, but examined in this state of being, they come back to their bodies and you have the same scars. And you explain that. And then you have uh, people who have had close encounters like that. Uh, there are other types of phenomena that start up that they've never had experience with before, poltergeist phenomena. OBEs, electrical sensitivity, seeing apparitions, and so forth. It almost seems there's a meta-phenomena out there, and that UFOs are part of it, just as OBEs and NDEs and all of this extrasensory uh, phenomena 
similarities, he said, between close encounters of the fourth kind and near-death experiences. That should be very interesting. As is most of what we do on Dreamland, I'm Art Bell from the high desert. There'll be more in a moment. Stay right there. is Dreamland. I'm not playing the phone number uh, bumper because we're not taking calls right now. Uh, due to the nature of this evening's show and the three separate hours that will yet all tie together, uh, we're not, in all probability, until the last hour, I doubt we're going to take calls. You've heard me talk about Raymond E. Fowler and a very long time, as many of you know. NDEs, or near-death experiences, have been of great fascination for me. And I am very curious, Ray, what similarities you see between NDEs, and boy, there have been books and thousands of cases, uh, even children, uh, explaining to us what happens when you die. What similarities are there between these NDEs and these close encounters of the fourth kind? Well, there are some close encounters of the fourth kind, which we call OBE abductions. In other words, abductions uh, taking a person in the out-of-the-body state that uh, are strikingly similar to the near-death experience. Both, for example, are in an OBE state. Uh, both reportedly travel toward a bright light and are greeted by a loving being. And during their experience with this loving being, they experience a oneness with reality. And uh, both sometimes are transformed into light themselves and experience communication by telepathy. Uh, both are sometimes taken to a spacecraft and brought to a world of light called home. And uh, both are very reluctant to leave the world of light when they're there and experience the sense of timelessness. And both return knowing that love is fundamental and very important. Uh, both return with a, a, a concern for Earth's ecological state and, uh, and seem to indicate that there's a symbiotic effect upon the entities, whether they be uh, the UFO entities or the uh, entities that, that are met uh, at the end of the dark tunnel uh, in the bright light. So you have all these similarities, and that's from UFO research. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring reports that uh, he has a number of cases on a biology called mixed motifs, and these cases involve persons who experience what seems to be a UFO abduction during a near-death experience, just what uh, I found on the other end of the spectrum, and they report being on board the same type craft, the same type entities reported by abductees. 
Huh. And uh, so it's like he is he has this mountain of research uh, that he's working with on NDEs, and I'm on the other end of the mountain, and we're sort of tunneling through there, and all of a sudden we bump into each other in the middle of this mountain of, of NDE and UFO uh, research, and uh, uh, I find it very startling myself when I when I, I when I found these similarities and. Uh, well, you said they were concerned about our ecology, and you said there was a symbiotic relationship, and we're always looking for motive uh, with regard to UFOs uh, and abduction experiences. Motive is very important. Cattle mutilations, all the rest of it, whatever's going on. Could it be, Ray, that our fate, or more, more put more appropriately, their fate is in effect tied to ours, and so they have a natural concern? Well, what seems to be going on, and this is so far out that I hardly even dare talk about it, but if you take everything at face value, we don't really haven't got that much time to go into detail. Right. It would almost seem that the those abduction experiences involving physical examinations and things like that may not be specifically genetic engineering at all. It, it almost looks like we are being bred like... We uh, would breed a, a herd of cattle, in other words, uh, people uh, uh, being uh, tested, examined, and so forth, but something else that's coming. Uh, in a nutshell, I would make an analogy like this, that uh, we have a uh, dragonfly lobby, for example, that lives in a, in a water dimension, and... Uh, Later on, it transforms into a dragonfly that lives in a totally different air dimension. And uh, I hypothesize, and this is just a, a summary statement, that perhaps the dragonflies are the entities, and they're returning to care for and warn the larvae of humans that they are polluting the pond, uh, the earth, so badly that the larvae's existence is in danger. No more larvae, no more dragonflies. And this would explain the abduction NDE similarities, the entity's great concern about uh, Earth's ecology and its attempts to monitor and preserve the human form for the next plane of existence. In oh, other that, words, that's very good. They, we are they. <laughs> and uh, They are us. They are us, and uh, no more us, no more them. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that does say it. Uh, let's work with that for a second. And... <sighs> Then does that, how does that mix in with people's religious concepts? Or in your research, do you try to separate as carefully as you can religion from research? Or is it I try to be religion neutral in my research. I, I only get involved with it with Betty because uh, she interprets uh, her experiences uh, you know, within a religious context. They told Betty that human beings, uh, let, let's just go through a few, few things they told Betty. They told Betty that human beings were more than flesh and blood. They told uh, her husband, Bob, that the human form would continue in another existence after death. And they indicated that humans will someday know the universe as they do. And these entities and the UFOs appear to enter our space-time from a dimension that may even coexist with ours. For example, when someone has an out-of-the-body experience, uh, they are here, but uh, no one sees them. They can't interface with what they see, uh, and people who are left behind in what you might call a physical world can't see them either. Uh, so that's the only other dimension that humans routinely experience is during an, an OBE or an NDE, which even goes further. So this dimension 
maybe where the UFOs and entities originate. And this would explain the similarities between uh, humanoids seen in both NDEs and UFO abductions. You know, scientists say that the humanoid form is unique to Earth. <laughs> and if that's true, this is another indication that uh, we're related to some of these humanoid Nordics that look almost just like us. In fact, Betty was told that the small greys were genetically altered human fetuses. Uh, so UFO entities <laughs> assume other humanoid forms that appear to be... Uh, in fact, I don't think most people don't believe what I even even said. This whole hypothesis is based on a what-if uh, situation, but uh, all you have to look at uh, and read in the newspapers, the TV, you see the countless rivers and streams of ponds are dead and slowly dying. Oh, yes. Acid rain, you have dioxide, dioxin, rather, producing changes in reproductive and immune systems of animals. They told Betty that eventually mankind was going to become sterile. So you have all of these different things that are going on. The uh, sperm count of men, for example, has uh, fallen dramatically over the past 50 years, according to a number of studies. Uh, Ray, there was an article in the New Yorker magazine uh, last month that said sperm counts are falling so precipitously that it is possible they could go to zero within one generation. Yeah, you've got global warming, uh, warming reducing uh, the amount of plankton, for example. Plankton is at the lower end of the food chain for all living things. You've got radiation uh, from ozone layer disruption. You, you can go on and on and on and on. Uh, you would think we wouldn't have to be told, but if there is a symbiotic connection between them and us, uh, and there is some prime directive where which we have, or NASA has, if we were to meet other life forms, if they have some prime directive where they only can do this or that. Uh, That's a good th point. <laughs> I don't know. All, as a UFO investigator, uh, I'm a reporter, and I report, and I... This is the first book that I've really speculated uh, anything like this. <laughs> and I never thought I would get to the point where I'd even consider something like this. But it's gotten all fit together. And uh, and again, I insist in the book, and uh, if I talk to people, it's based on a what-if premise. If uh, OBEs, NDEs, uh, and OBE abductions uh, are, are real, valid experiences, and the reports coming from abductees uh, are real, then uh, this is what you come up with. Uh, it's not what I wanted to come up with, sure. but this is what I come up with. How have your colleagues uh, greeted your latest effort? Uh, They've been very silent. Uh, the people who uh, the people who are involved in uh, NDE research, uh, I think, uh, are pleased. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring. Uh, example is uh, very pleased and he's sort of the father of NDE research, the Dr. Hynek of NDE research. Sure. And uh, interestingly enough, John Carpenter, who's the head of our abduction research uh, uh, our consultant uh, in Bufon, uh, wrote a nice blurb uh, for the book. So I am getting uh, uh, some interesting uh, uh, and, uh, positive uh, response for some uh, UFO researchers, but some are completely silent. I think they're sort of stunned. Uh, <laughs> Where is Fowler going, <laughs> along with Dr. Hynek and Pillay, you see? <laughs> uh -huh. Well, maybe that's bringing uh, this uh, Nova kind of uh, business at us now. The fact yes. that so many of you are following trails, bravely, I might add, that lead uh, into writing books like this that are uh, risky. Yeah, well, just the abduction experience, the physical abduction experience, will probably be the only thing that's really dealt with on the Nova program. 
uh, they, they probably wouldn't even consider dealing uh, with the paraphysical uh, mm-hmm. uh, side of the UFOs. Uh, the American Association for the Advancement of Science uh, at one time allowed uh, parapsychology in as a, uh, as a, uh, a science, and uh, that only lasted a few years, and uh, they now have dismissed that as a as a science. So, unfortunately, we've been programmed from childhood by uh, conservative. Uh, the scientific method, I guess, and uh, religion and philosophy and so forth is regarding what can and what can't be. And uh, it's just like a transponder on the aircraft. If an airplane doesn't have a transponder, you know, the uh, the uh, control tower operators and the radar operators uh, just don't bother with it. And, uh, That's true. <laughs> and it's with, we're sort of programmed that way, you know. If someone says they had an out-of-the-body experience uh, to another person, that person will say, well, those things can't happen. And so you have all these people having these experiences, but uh, they keep quiet about it because uh, they aren't supposed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, you describe in your book uh, death, the experience of death as the ultimate abduction. What does that mean? Uh, the ultimate. Well, that would mean that uh, death, in other words, would be the same as an OBE abduction, but uh, you would stay where uh, instead of being sent back. I mean, it would be the same thing as a, an NDE, but it would be the uh, you know, the final the final abduction of this is true. If, if those, if, if the human form is growing what comes out of us when we have an out-of-the-body experience, for example, if, if the human form produces a, a humanoid form that exists in another dimension, then that, that essence, or whatever you want to call it, is taken in the OBE abduction, but it's very similar to what happens in the DNF experience. Now, these people are sent back. Uh, we don't know what happens, uh, you know, the people that don't come back, but uh, I, the, the similarities are so striking between them. It would seem that there is a definite connection, uh, you know, between them, and that at, at death, uh, it would be similar to an OBE abduction, going through the same type of thing as an NDE, but... Uh, you don't come back. As I say, it'll be the ultimate abduction. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are very many uh, similarities, and what have you concluded, if anything, about the nature of death itself? Uh, you, do you remember the movie Flatliners? Uh, yeah, I started to watch it one night on TV, and I got interrupted and never saw the end of it. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, <laughs> it uh, the concept was interesting. You know, the story got a little wild, as they tend to do with uh, the license they have. But um, it was very, very interesting uh, in a bunch of young doctors uh, taking each other with agreement to death's door, uh, yeah. physical death. And then, of course, having all the facilities and the other doctors there to revive them to find out exactly what is on the other side. Has anybody actually ever, uh, that you know of, Ray, experimented with that kind of thing? Not that I know of. It's never been made public that they did. Uh, what is interesting in some of these abduction experiences is that these people are trained. They're trained on consoles and things like that. You say, well, what are these people being trained for? They certainly aren't being trained for something now. And then you have a number of cases where the entities uh, actually know when humans going to die. I mean, they told Betty, for example, uh, her two sons were going to die. And, uh, you know, a few days later, they did. Uh, uh, and I remember her coming to my house feeling very, very depressed because something was on her mind and her subconscious, uh, and she didn't know what it was, but something terrible was going to happen. And I can remember, I even recorded this, 
she was crying and, and said that something terrible was going to happen. And she had been, we've been working with her uh, during the investigation. And I tried to calm her down and said, well, it's just this investigation. I think it's just getting to you. And then she called me up about a day and a half later, and her two sons had died. Well, under hypnosis, so she was told this, uh, relived an experience where she was told this, and it was there, but she didn't remember. Uh, I have another report that uh, where someone was told that someone was going to, several reports that where these entities during a UFO abduction experience were told that uh, so-and-so was going to die or this person was going to die, and lo and behold, I did. So again, you had this connection. Uh, with death, or either either that or precognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's getting very, very strange, this whole thing, and uh, this paraphysical side, the other side of UFO research, is not getting too much attention, and basically because it's uh, so bizarre. I mean, just the abduction phenomenon is so bizarre that a lot of people don't want to deal with it, but when you get to this other side, which seems to be left out of the reports, uh, it gets really bizarre, and uh, it, it's very hard to articulate, you know, myself uh, to you uh, and to your radio audience uh, uh, these things because they, they seem to be so far, far out. I never thought I'd ever be talking like this. Okay, Raymond, where from here? Uh, how does this uh, line of investigation now proceed? If anything, it probably gets weirder. Uh, what method of continuing investigation do you see occurring? Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that uh, that people within UFO research know me and uh, for some reason have some respect for me. Oh, yes. They're going to think, you know, I've gone off the, the deep end, or they're going to say, hey, he's right. Uh, we should start documenting some of this other stuff and, and see where it leads us to. And, and this is, and, and this is a uh, uh, science. You have your peers review your work and, and say, well, let's look at some of these reports and let's not ignore all of this stuff that's coming out and let's see if uh, what he says has any merit to it. What I'm hoping it will be is a catalyst for uh, the nuts and bolts hardware enthusiasts out there to say, hey, uh, we're just looking at one part of this. Let's look at the other side, too. Otherwise, we aren't looking at the whole phenomenon. It's like the blind men trying to describe an elephant. No one describes the yeah. tailor. You know what I mean? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. It, it so is, and you're very much out on the edge. And, the uh, yeah, of the fringe. Yeah, of fringe. And as you say, your colleagues are at the moment silent. Do you think they are just absorbing uh, what you have said or afraid to comment on it, uh, period? I really don't know. I'm just glad that the director of uh, abduction research uh, from UFON on the board of directors with me uh, uh, put a nice blurb in my book, and uh, it was uh, complimentary and uh, uh, I thought that was good because uh, he was chosen for that position because of uh, his prestige in that, that in, in the area of abduction research. So, and then you have on the other end of the spectrum uh, the Dr. Heineck of NDE research uh, uh, approving the work too. So, uh, but I, I've been in there so long, and uh, and I really don't I really don't care about reputation as long as I'm trying to do uh, what I feel is. Uh, uh, honest and objective work, no matter where it leads. Uh, people can think what they think now. I'm, I'm 62, and uh, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> I know that that's the nice thing about getting a little older, isn't it? I know yeah. the older you get, I, I'm the same way. I am almost the point where I'm going to say what I want on the air to hell with it. <laughs> so I'm glad you're there, and I look forward to following your work. And as you know, we're going to talk with Betty.
Betty Luca next. Right. Give her my regards. And next year we'll have the Andreas and Legacy, which will try to put more of this together. Wonderful. I really appreciate your having come on uh, the show. I know how busy you are. Raymond Fowler, thank you. Well, thank you very much, Jack. Take care. That's uh, Raymond Fowler, author of many, many, many books, the latest of which is The Watchers 2, written all about Betty and Dreesen Luca. And guess who's next? That's right. Betty and Dreesen Luca, coming up next right here on Dreamland, one of the most famous abduction cases in all history. We'll be back. Good evening across the country. Now 171 affiliate strong. This is Dreamland. I'm Art Bell. And I'm sure the rest of you felt as this faxer does about Raymond Fowler. Simply art, here's one ufologist who is with Ray Fowler. I always appreciate his willingness to move forward, and he certainly has done that. A number of books now, the latest, Watchers 2, all about the Betty and Dreesen Luca affair. And we are privileged to have with us in a moment Betty Andreessen Luca, and her husband Bob, and uh, he'll cooperate some of what she has to say. All coming up in just a moment. Two, three. Now, uh, off we go uh, to speak with, uh, I hope we're connected well, Betty Andreessen Luca and her husband Bob. Are you two there? Yes, we are. Uh, hello to you, and hello to all your listeners. I know Raymond Fowler was in Boston. Where are you? Uh, we're in Virginia right now. In Virginia. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you certainly are the subject of many, many, many pages and uh, books now uh, by Ray Fowler. And so I guess we would ask you to first describe, as best you can, your own words, the the latter experience, the, uh, the big experience that you consciously remember uh, without the aid of hypnosis. Well, the very first, uh, conscious memory I had was of the 1967 encounter, and I was at home uh, with my seven children. My mother and father were there with me, and suddenly the lights went out, and there was a reddish-orange pulsating light in the backyard. It was coming through the pantry window, and uh, as I said, there was silence, uh, and beings entered my home. And from there, we went into the living room, and there was an exchange of books. Uh, that was my first conscious recall of a UFO encounter. Was that fully conscious? In other words, you weren't saying, I've got to pinch myself. Am I dreaming? Am I asleep? No, that was fully conscious. Fully conscious. Mm-hmm. Such an encounter would, I, I, well, of course, you never know until it happens, I suppose, but I would think I would be stiffened with fear. Well, uh, my faith helped me there. Uh, without uh, uh, my faith, I, I think that I probably would have passed out. But uh, it seemed to be angels entering my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a devout Christian. Yes. Um, are you still a devout Christian? Yes, I am. What do you think these beings represented? Well, for me... I believe that uh, they are 
represent uh, more in our spiritual realm, even though they they are in the physical also. Uh, man is made of body, soul, and spirit, and we deal primarily with our physical being and uh, once in a while uh, with our emotional and, and uh, uh, soul part of our being. But our spiritual part, uh, we somehow have eliminated, uh, and this is the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. And I believe now we are coming to a point where uh, the spirit, our spirit, is going to have to open up and recognize who we really are. And these beings are are coming to the forefront for us to realize who we really are. Uh, Dr. F- uh, Dr. Raymond Fowler said that he thinks they're trying to get us a message with regard to the way we're treating Earth. Most definitely, yes. Most definitely. Yes. Uh, I will ask you what I asked him. Uh, why, if that is the case, if there is a symbiotic relationship between wherever they are, another dimension or space or planet or whatever, and here, um, and that relationship uh, is a critical one for them, as if if we foul where we are, in some way they are fouled, then why take such a circumnavigating route to try and get the message to us through Betty, through anybody else? Why not land on the White House lawn and uh, simply uh, let the message out? Well, I don't think that they deal in in. I think they want man to still have his free will and choice. And uh, this is why I believe they are visiting the thousands of people all over the world. And as far as landing on the White House lawn, I don't think they're uh, interested in just the political scene. All right. Um, your husband, Bob, is here, and I've left him out so far. Bob, uh, how long have you two been married? Uh, since 1978. 78. Mm-hmm. Um how do you feel about all of this that has happened? I mean, you've been with Betty now all this time, a very famous abduction case, and I'm sure you've talked to her for many, many hours and long moments and short moments about all of this. What have you concluded? Well, originally I had several of my own abduction experiences before I met her, and I am basically a nuts and bolts type person. Mm-hmm. I had to admit to the physical reality of the phenomena when I saw experienced what I did in 1967 also before I met her. I had a lot of uh, trouble in accepting the spiritual aspect uh, of the phenomenon because I, I basically, my mind said it was very hard for me to understand. Are you a religious person? Uh, I, I am now a Christian, yes. However, at the time I met Betty, I had no particular religion and hadn't had for probably 25 years. Well, you know, it's funny, uh, this is for either one or both of you, but uh, Christians who listen to the kind of show that I'm doing right now and the kind of thing that you're saying right now become greatly offended, uh, generally become greatly offended, and they say these people are being fooled, these beings or whatever it is they call them uh, are certainly not from God. They are, if anything, from the devil. Mm-hmm. You're tampering with forces and things that you know not. Mm-hmm. How do you two react to that? Well, I mean, you know, each person can make up their own mind, and I realize that the Christian, many of the Christian uh, people 
have a view that they are demonic. However, if they really studied the Word of God, they would see uh, that also uh, the good is visiting us. I mean, the angelic uh, beings are still uh, speaking to mankind. It did not end at the New Testament. So what we're getting now, then, uh, is a continuation uh, of instruction from the New Testament? I think that I think that uh, God continues to speak to us. Uh, of course, uh, the Christian view, uh, where Jesus finished all things, I believe this. Yes, he has finished all things. But it does not mean that uh, the spiritual and uh, physical has ended where we do not have communication with uh, the angelic host. Um, what can you describe for us, uh, Betty, as best you're able to, what these creatures looked like? Well, the tall elders are uh, white, have white hair, uh, very pale skin, pale blue eyes. Uh, high cheekbones, and they were in uh, white robes, did not have any shoes on at all. And the smaller ones, which they said were watchers, were uh, about three to five feet tall, had very large heads, uh, gray skin, um, and had very large black eyes. I was later told by the elders that these gray uh, watchers were their remote imaging surrogates, and they were connected to them through bioelectric mind projection. So, in other words, these are uh, a combination of biological, uh, they're, they're uh, beings and machines. Uh, they're right. They're, they're spiritual and physical. And uh, I think that the grays are being used by the elders perhaps because of the pollution on Earth or the uh, the uh, ultraviolet light. Uh, I think that they are using them to do the particular work of watching the Earth and mankind because they the watchers did say that they were caretakers of nature and all natural forms. Did you see the uh, Roswell crash film, Betty? Uh, yes, I did. Did you see any creature that looked like that? Well, it was similar, but uh, the, the beings that I have uh, been involved with were slightly different. Slightly. They were not as uh, thin and willowy as though. Mm -hmm. They were more, um, uh, I'd say more like a, a child, but a, a robust child. In what manner did they communicate to you? Uh, that was through mental telepathy, through the mind. So, but the elders spoke directly to me. As in out loud? Pardon? As in out loud? Yes. Yes. Uh, was there any specific message that they wanted you to bring back? Uh, I understand there were some experiments performed on you, medical experiments? Mm-hmm. Uh, the watchers said that man would become sterile, and uh, with the population explosion, you wonder, well, how could that possibly be? But uh, there has been a lot of information collected by the medical uh, field that is showing that. I know. You know yes. There's a New Yorker uh, magazine article, as I told Raymond, 
suggesting that uh, the sperm count in man is dropping worldwide at a pace that it should keep up will go to zero within one generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see all the problems with the different viruses that uh, is just running rampant and so forth. So, I mean, there is so much that is involved here. Also, the the chemicals that have been used on our, our produce and everything, uh, the ground is saturated by it, and that can uh, be picked up in the DNA of, of uh, people from all over the world. It shows that uh, this, what happens is the chemicals break down to estrogen and it's causing a problem uh, in possibly sterility in, in certain people. Or perhaps in many people. Mm -hmm. uh, that then may account for the. I'm, I'm always looking at motivation. Everybody tries to figure out what it is they're doing. Perhaps these experiments are designed to simply monitor the degree of deterioration in in us. Could that be? Yes, that's quite possible. The the, the uh, biopsies uh, that are often like scars often seen on abductees, mm -hmm. it may be that they are checking what is going on in our system uh, due to pollution and, and nuclear uh, waste being emptied in the uh, water or air. Did you ever during this whole process doubt your own sanity? Yes, yes, very often uh, uh, because it was so fantastic what I, I was going through and uh, at, in the very beginning, I was uh, very fearful of it, and uh, one of the investigators came to me and said, I, I wanted to stop because it, it seemed like science fiction. Mm. And uh, he pleaded with me not to stop because uh, he wasn't supposed to say anything, but uh, much of what I was experiencing was happening to people worldwide, and I had no knowledge of the UFO phenomena at the time. Well, being a devout Christian, I would have guessed that you would have run to your church. Did you well, do that? I ran to the Bible, and uh, of course, I had been reading and studying the Bible for many years. And uh, then, when I realized that I was having these encounters, I I asked Jesus, "Why? What is this? Why am I going through this? What, what is happening?" And uh, I began to look into a lot of the um, prophetic books and could see that the Ezekiel's wheel uh, was quite possibly the uh, dealing with the UFO phenomena and many other uh, parts in the Bible show that it it is UFO connected. Well, again, I, I take it you were, uh, you were and probably are now church going? Well, uh, at this point, we have just moved from uh, Connecticut to mm -hmm. Uh, Virginia, and uh, there is a church we are looking into going to. Um, well, what I'm curious about is uh, how other Christians, your friends, your associates, so forth, reacted to your story, which is now world famous, and so everybody knows it. Well, uh, most of the people that we've come in contact with, Christians, uh, they've been very nice. I have hundreds of letters from other Christians that write to me and tell me uh, about their experiences, but they dare not speak them out loud in the church or even sometimes to their minister. That's interesting. Um, 
Do the did the uh, the elder group that spoke with you uh, tell you what was going to happen, or just what was going to happen if we didn't straighten out, or how much information did you actually get from them? Well, the elders told told me that they were masters of rings, cycles, and odds, and that they were ambassadors of O. Uh, now, this is hard to explain. I I really couldn't understand everything that they were telling me. However, at one point uh, of an experience that both Bob and I had, uh, and this was in Meriden, Connecticut, we had a, a small cottage, uh, at one point we recalled a whirring sound over our bedroom, and uh, it seemed as if Bob did a doppelganger. In other words, he was in two places at one time, and he was at the uh, bed and taking off his socks. I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, and suddenly when the whirring started, I turned around and looked at him, and as I did, he came out of himself. He was in two places at one time, rushed to the door, stood there, and looked astonished, turned around, and went back into himself. And we discussed it just a short period of time and then let it go. Well, it was years later under regressive hypnosis. We thought that was it. <laughs> and years later under hypnosis, uh, we realized uh, more information came out that we were taken out of our bedroom and up into a craft. And at that point, uh, a very unusual thing happened where I turned into a light being and there were other light beings there. And at that point, uh, Bob was taken on another side of the craft, and I could see him. There were two elders standing side by side uh, on both sides of him, and they took him into another room. And this time, when we un went, went under regressive hypnosis, uh, Bob recalled certain information, and there were messages in that that he might be able to tell you. Bob, did you uh, recollect it roughly the way Shane has just explained it? Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just thought it was a very strange incident until, uh, until undergoing regressive hypnosis. Uh, the thing is, this is, this was the, uh, particular incident that made me open my eyes to the spiritual aspect of the whole phenomenon because I saw, I did see Betty change into a, uh, where the color just drained out of her and she became what I call a white man, another form of a human being, but having no, no distinct features. You can see almost through her as the others that were on the other side of the craft with her. All right, Bob and Betty, hold it right there. We'll be back to you both after the break here at the bottom of the hour. Betty and Reese Luca and her husband Bob back in a moment from the high desert. You're listening to Dreamland. I'm Art Bell. That occurred uh, during my program last week, I've got another one for you now. Not quite as big, but certainly a strange place. A 6.4 earthquake has just occurred in a remote region of the Mid-Atlantic Ocean. The quake centered about 500 miles northwest of Ascension Island along the Mid-Atlantic Ocean Ridge. Uh, that's... Um, that's absolutely incredible, and it is a place there ought not be an earthquake, but uh, they just had it. And uh, they show it roughly between the uh, the jutting uh, edge of South America and Africa. It is a remarkable place for an earthquake to have occurred. 
And by the way, the follow-up information on the 8.2 is that there were many people killed. Dozens of people were killed. And an island was just about flat. And the regular media began to finally catch up with that story about a day late and uh, millions of dollars short. Betty and uh, Bob back in a moment. For the past several months, everybody at the oh, by the way, check them out on the Internet at www.maxinet.com forward slash UFO News. Hope you got that address. They're hard to get. All right, back now to uh, Betty and Bob. Uh, Luca, and uh, hi to you both again. Hello. Uh, and, Bob, I think you were saying you saw your wife turn into pure light. Right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through this rather quickly. Um, what happened was she was on the opposite side of the graph. She had joined a group of people with these light beings, and it looked to me like they were playing a game, throwing back geometrical form, rolling up into a ball of light, and so forth. The next thing I knew... A door had opened behind me, and there were two tall beings that took me into a room and began to impart information to me. First off, I was told that the people on the other side were going through a learning process to advance their knowledge on another plane, that I was not there because I was not advanced enough spiritually, and I'll fully agree to that, um, that it was a privilege for me even to be there. Now, from this point, I was given information regarding the spirit. I was told, and again, this is a very brief version, that the spirit transcends time and dimension. The ultimate goal is to come closer and closer to the creator. That our life experience is recorded from birth to death, including our deepest feelings and emotions, as well as our physical activity. That illness, sorrow, and distress actually serve a purpose in the larger order of things that is not readily apparent to those of us on this plane of existence. And that evil, and this was a surprise, that evil, although the negative aspect on the earthly plane, is necessary and, again, serves a purpose. Now, this might be oversimplifying it, but basically we're all given a free will by the Creator. And we, all of us, have the ability to do good or evil. It's our choice. Now, here's another thing that I was told that we are, mankind are, are advancing rapidly uh, as far as technology, but are developing uh, far behind spiritually. And they said that we are developing things that are harmful to ourselves. As, you know, as well as our home planet. Right. And one thing that comes to mind, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with, is Project Heart. Uh, I did, as a matter of fact, I did, the show I did, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, was with Dr. Nick Begich, and we uh-huh. spent five hours on Project Heart. So, yes. Okay, I have one question regarding Project Heart. Now, they're playing with the ionosphere, and if they are wrong, if, if they misjudge, and destroy the ionosphere, that can adversely affect every human being on Earth. My question is, what gives them or any government the right to even think of experimenting with this? I, I have no idea. Uh, we spent a lot of time on that exact uh, question uh, Saturday morning, and I, I have absolutely no idea. It's not just there, either. Uh, we're experimenting uh, genetically. Right. Uh, we're exper- uh, For example, there was... Uh, in San Francisco recently, announced after the fact, a young man with AIDS uh, was given a baboon's immune system, right. or they tried to anyway. Mm-hmm. And I have great compassion for those with AIDS, but I would have liked, you know, it's kind of like they gave us a story and they said, well, here's what we've done. Yes, there may be repercussions for mankind should a disease right. be transferred, mm-hmm. 
but we think the risk is minimal. Well, I wish somebody had asked me before right. they did it. Exactly. In the long run, we all pay for it one way or another. Well, that's right. And uh, there's another concern I've got. There's something going on in this world now, summing it briefly, that I call the thickening. And uh, you heard the earthquake report I just read. Right, yes. And the big earthquake in Indonesia, the big one north of Japan before that. Uh, something is arguably going on. Well, I think it is the uh, something to do also with the HAP project, even though they say no, it isn't. I think that uh, the extremely low frequencies they're sending out are getting into the electromagnetic uh, uh, sphere that surrounds our Earth, and already a portion of the Antarctica has broken away uh, some time ago. Yes. So, I mean, and I think it's uh, uh, the scale of waves caused by this are probably entering the uh, uh, magnetic poles and going down into the core and causing a lot of the eruptions on the Earth. Well, let me uh, tell you, um, uh, Dr. Begich said that he has got a document which says that NASA was able to detect a symbiotic relationship uh, during the large Alaskan earthquake in the ionosphere. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think that one over a little bit, and then you begin considering uh, shooting a hole in or heating up the ionosphere. I don't know if it sounds like such a good idea. Right? No. It, it, uh, uh, it causes a lot of uh, strange storms and also uh, a lot of electrical storms uh, where people are seeing uh, bright light and so forth. Uh, I think this is being caused not by the UFO phenomena, but because of the HARP project. Hmm. And also, they mentioned that the project HARP, they could use it to bounce X-rays off the ionosphere into the Earth to see uh, if, if enemy uh, countries are hiding below the surface of the Earth, That's right. uh, nuclear weapons, and so forth. But my question again is, what happens to the people that happen to be standing between the surface of the Earth and the ionosphere? That's exactly the question I asked Saturday morning. In other words, to get into the Earth, it's got to pass through us. Right. right. And we resonate at 8 hertz, and uh, these extremely low frequencies can cause even death. Well, can cause cancer, can cause the mind to, uh, uh, you know, go haywire. So, confused, I mean, it, yes. it really is extremely dangerous. Well, I, you would think that as we get closer to Project Park cranking up the really big power, or uh, other conditions worsen, the incidence of links or messages from those people that talk to you mm -hmm. would increase. In other words, they would become increasingly concerned as we keep going in the wrong direction. That's right. Have I, think you, that, I think that has been happening by the number of new people that you see entering the phenomena that, have, that are finally coming forth and telling your stories that are, that are well documented uh, by credible people. I think you are seeing more and more of that. Do people tend to come to you? With their stories? Yes, they mm -hmm. do, uh, because they can't talk to anyone else. And I have thousands of letters. So does Ray Fowler have uh, boxes and boxes of letters from people all over the world uh, describing their encounters and experiences, which they cannot talk to their, their family or their clergy or anyone. They feel as if they'd be ridiculed. And because we have experienced these things, they, they have... Uh, written to us and told us about them. At least it gets there off their chest. And many of these people
people are highly credible. There's, they can be doctors, uh, psychiatrists, uh, sure. military. I've, I've spoken personally to people from every branch of the military, Air Force, Marines, Army, that have had experiences and so forth, and they can't really put their name to a statement because, uh, for obvious reasons, there goes pension, uh, jail, whatever. Sure. Oh, no, it ruins uh, reputations, and if you've got a position, if you're a pilot, for example, mm-hmm. you dare not report a UFO. That's right. Uh, pilots just don't do that. Uh, even sometimes with everybody in the cockpit having seen it, and uh, they still will not report it. And I cannot say I blame them. Now, Raymond Fowler is doing a lot of research that is beginning to go down a kind of a different avenue uh, that melds together the physical abduction experience with NDEs, or near-death experiences, mm-hmm. with many similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you would you agree with that? Do you think he's on the right track? Yes, yes. I, I do. I think that, again, it is the uh, spiritual part of our being, and uh, every one of us are going to face that at the time of our demise. Apparently, some of us uh, prior to as well. That's right. That's right. right. And I think that uh, being brought back is uh, allowing people to see that there is uh, life after death. Do you have any guesses about its form? Pardon? Do you have any guesses or information about its form that, in other words, after death, do you think that we will meet with the elders? Do you think we will see these people, or do you think it will be an entirely, uh, perhaps the soul, just taking a different road. Well, I think that uh, positively there will be light, and I I believe that uh, Christ will be there for us. Do you think that Christ and God preside over worlds of beings? Most definitely. And uh, I believe that Christ is within every person uh, that is born. Uh the Lord says in the Word of God that He, uh, uh, the light is within each person that is born on earth. So I believe that each one of us have the Christ present. However, it's what we choose that either allows uh, the Lord to live within us or, or die. Uh, what sort of challenge did you go through mentally, uh, Betty, trying to fit all this together, your devout Christianity? with this experience it would seem for a minute to conflict with it. I had a, a very difficult time at first, especially because of family and friends, uh, they being Christian also. But uh, it was happening to me. I had to face it, and uh, as I said, it was difficult. And I, of course, went to the Word of God and looked upon Jesus' words that he said, greater things shalt thou do than I have done. And, and it's hard to imagine how we could have greater things happening to us than that, uh, what our Lord has gone through. Um, also, a lot of the Christians feeling that this phenomena is demonistic, they must realize the opposite side is still there, which is the, the angelic host. Sure. And uh, both are at work for their master. Without some change in direction, do you have any idea uh, how long it will be before some catastrophic event sort of does a reset the way you do when you push a reset button on your computer? Well, a lot of people are uh, feeling the year 2000, but I I don't 
feel that. I feel that we will go through a lot of uh, troublous times and a lot of uh, terrible things with wars, of course, like the Word of God has said, wars and rumors of wars and upheavals and uh, weather conditions and so forth all before it happens. But I, I don't feel as if any person can name the day or hour uh, that it will finally well, we certainly have been having strange weather. You moved from Connecticut to Virginia, and yes. I'm sure Virginia this year probably feels like Connecticut. It does this year. <laughs> I think we took it with us. Uh. Exactly. We need to go further south or west. <laughs> well, uh, you'd, ha you'd have to go a ways because they had freeze well down into Florida. Yeah. And uh, my mom lives on uh, out at the end of Long Island, and they have never seen a winter like this. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So... Uh, has it begun? Well, I think that it has been. Uh, all the uh, troubles that have been happening all over the world, uh, it already has begun, yes, these last times uh, and troublous times, but I don't feel as if the end is going to happen like many people have been predicting in the year 2000 because our calendars are just not that accurate. All right. One of you, I, I think it was you, Bob, said something earlier about uh, there being a reason for humans to suffer. Uh, right. Now, there are many people with uh, very debilitating, painful diseases that are terminal. Mm -hmm. And I've had discussions with people close to me that I love, uh, not because I have a terminal disease, just as an academic discussion. Yeah. And... I've said, you know, if I had a terrible, terrible terminal disease, why, I just might take the easy way out. Mm -hmm. And this person who will go on name said, oh, no, 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 you're meant to go through that. You must, That's right. you must go through that. That's I, exactly correct. It is. Mm -hmm. Why? Okay, it's like, how can I put it? Uh, in other words, as I said, everything is recorded. And as far as, as pain, sorrow and distress, if you're looking at it from the earthly viewpoint, from our viewpoint, right. which is, my God, this is terrible. Right. If you're looking at it from the big, I hate to use the term, but the big picture, okay? That's fine. What it is, is a testing of the spirit, of the will, and this will advance you in the next plane. Although it's hard to look at here when you're hurting real bad, or, you know. And not only that, it is all the people and family involved with the individual that might be going through a terrible time. It might be those uh, people, uh, it's their time to pray for them or look after them. Uh, it may not only be the person that is suffering, but those around them that have lessons to learn from them. Mm -hmm. And love especially, love is the greatest of all. And what is so sad today, there are so many children uh, and adult children that have their parents in rest homes uh, where really they should take that responsibility themselves. Well, one of the things I think with our whole society in particular is people over the years have forgotten how to, things have gotten too easy and people uh, have forgotten how to be responsible for themselves and their actions. And this in the long run is very important. Um, on balance, as you two look at uh, humankind's progression or deterioration, depending on how you look at it, mm -hmm. are we beginning to correct the path we're on, or do you think, and I've used this metaphor so many times, that like the airplane that's halfway across the Atlantic, it goes past the point of no return, mm 
Do you think uh, the little red light in the cockpit that says point of no return has already come on? Well, my wife and I, I think, differ on this. I, as mankind as a whole, I don't think I don't think that we're going to make it. I think small numbers will. But I really don't. As mankind as a whole, no. I think that uh, we're too greedy. So the little, the little, the little red lights on. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And and Betty, I take it you're uh, you're half full of glass on that. Well, I I feel that there will be many that will show that love, that will find the truth and the light and and the Lord and and will help so many different people. And in the UFO phenomenon, there are many people that are feeling because the reason for their abduction or encounter is because in the latter days that uh, they will come together and they will be able to help others. Um, I believe also that, like Bob said, the greed is there, and this is why a lot of governments all over the world, they're all they're interested in the military, power, power, power. It's a, such a power struggle, and uh, this is half of our problem. And yet, uh, at the individual single level, uh, how does Betty or how does Bob affect what the governments do? It seems impossible, and I hate to agree with Bob, and I hate to be negative, but I mean, I think that it's gone too far, and I well, th- I think whatever's going to come next, I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but whatever's going to come next is going to come. Well, there's going to be changes, that's for certain. Uh, but there are also people... Now, a lot of people feel, you know, the breakdown of the government and everything, but this would be a terrible thing because there are some good people in government. Uh, it's just that the general populace has got to get more involved, and I know a lot of people feel as if, well, what's the use of voting? Uh, you know, we can't do anything about it because a lot of them already have their men in place and everything uh, for what they want to do with the one-worlders and so forth. But uh, we can't give up like that. Well, we have to fight for for the truth. That's a wonderful, cheerful point in which to end it. Uh, even though Bob and I basically agree. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you both well, uh, for being with us. Thank you very much thank for you. having Thank uh, you. Okay, take care. Okay, okay, you too. God bless you. Bye-bye now. And Bye you now. as well. That's Betty and Dreesen Luca and her husband, Bob. And... Uh, I would guess that would be one of the most famous abduction stories documented. Uh, it's in Raymond Peller's books, culminating in The Watchers 2, available now, bookstands everywhere. So there you've got it, ladies and gentlemen. There's the story laid out in front of you by Raymond Fowler and the abductee herself. We'll be back with more. This is Dreamland. Now, all the way back to Philadelphia. Everybody's on the East Coast tonight. It's Linda Moulton Howell, Emmy Award winning, uh, well, reporter, I guess. Uh, Linda, how should I introduce you? I, I always lose track. Emmy winning, I know you've done documentaries, right? Yeah, well, I've been a, a television producer for a long time, and one of the programs that I produced that a lot of people listening might know is UFO Report Sightings on Fox. It became the, uh, uh, Sighting series. Sure. And uh, prior to that, my uh, work had been in nonfiction documentaries focused largely on environmental problems and medicine and science, which is how I got into trying to find out what was happening to all of the uh, animals worldwide in the unusual animal death called animal mutilation. Mm-hmm. 
And that led you down a very strange path? Yes. Uh, I never, ever would have thought that about 16 years into the future from my first investigation in Colorado of what was happening to the animals that I would be sitting here today looking at such an enormous and wide variety of subjects, which I'm willing to talk about uh, any of it with you tonight that you'd like in this uh, third hour. But I thought, uh, since I normally am not uh, a third hour, that I would at least give this audience uh, an update uh, on some things that have been happening this past week and a story like I usually do at the top. And All right. I just want to touch on, I ask you one question. Uh, it relates to what Ray Fowler and uh, Betty Andreessen, Luca, said. Right. Uh, it is that they feel that the reason or the motivation for the abductions and possibly the mutilations and the seemingly genetic experimentation that's going on, I mean, we're always looking for motivation here and why. Right. Is that the Earth is slowly deteriorating, that these beings, whoever they are, are from another dimension as opposed to another uh, planet, physical uh, planet. They're from another dimension. And that our fate and our Earth, now in great trouble, is symbiotically um, related to theirs. And certainly if that's true, it would go to the motivation for all the medical experiments, for trying to understand what's going on with the animals and the human beings that are now on Earth and what we are doing to ourselves. Right. In my first book, An Alien Harvest, I uh, suggested based on abduction uh, cases that involved animal mutilations and humans uh, being taken someplace anyway by beings that were trying to explain what they were doing, that it appeared to be coming down to a survival issue. And since then, there have been many more cases implying that that is what the crux of the problem is, someone's survival out there. And there is a new book out called Cosmic Voyage by Courtney Brown. He is a professor of political science at Emory University in Atlanta. And it is a remarkable book. Uh, somewhere in the future, uh, you and I uh, want some combination, or we should interview him. All right. But his book is based on using the discipline of remote viewing. And the text basically is a discovery that, who is involved with our planet are time travelers from the future who have a major survival problem. Yes. And that this, this genetic harvesting now is for their present, which would be a distant future, and that we're all somehow all tied together. And I find this especially interesting. People can argue all they want to about remote viewing. The fact is that something extraordinary is happening on the planet. Yes. Things are interacting with humans and plants and animals. And in even military encounters where I have transcripts of interviews, even if they have not been made public, there this issue of something coming from another time, which could be also called another dimension, uh, is one of the prevalent themes. And I think that probably... Our government, as they have begun to discover some of this over time, probably felt that the term UFO and extraterrestrials was far more comprehensible to the world than travelers from a distant future. Sure. And that may be another part of the story that they haven't wanted anyone to discuss, but 
You know, we are all discussing it, and we are getting to the end of this century, and I think that people are ready to hear this. Well, we all know that um, the government uh, has, in fact, an ongoing, uh, I guess, program with remote viewing. Now, they may have their own specific uh, national security reasons for it, uh, or maybe they have made discoveries that they have not even hinted at yet in this whole program. Yeah, and it's like so many things that our government does. I really am not in a mode to attack them because in some ways I have great sympathy for people who have been writing this very difficult story and have felt that uh, at least keep people in the public uh, innocent of all of this so that there would not be panic. I mean, that's been the most common explanation. Um, but it, it's getting to a point where there reasons for doing what they do, for example, like putting out, perhaps, to muddy the waters around remote viewing, uh, that Central Intelligence Agency report that it was only 15% effective that a few months ago, that may be a way of diffusing public attention to remote viewing when, in fact, remote viewing may be a tool that our government uses on a regular basis. They just don't want people to realize how uh, important and uh, powerful a tool it is. Remarkable. I know you've got a report. Does the length lend itself to doing it before the bottom of the hour? Well, let's see here. 1218. I'll tell you what I'll do. No, let's do that. I can give you some news updates, and then when we come back, I will share with you a rather remarkable story. All right. All right, that, uh, whatever you've got in, term, uh, in terms of news, we can use. Yep. And this past week, there were new reports of cattle mutilations again back in Geraldine and Albertville, Alabama, where there were several cases in 1993, and I went down to do the documentary Strange Harvest 1993. We were able to get grass and tissue samples from a cow and a calf just a few days ago, and in a couple of weeks, I'll give an update about what we find. And last Thursday, while I was talking on the phone with photographer Eddie Visconde from the El Vicero newspaper in Puerto Rico, he got a call about another attack in Canovinus, where I was in January. Oh, boy. A woman heard parakeets fluttering in a cage on her porch. Both birds were lying on the bottom of the cage, alive, but each had its right leg cut off. What? Yeah, this is really bizarre, and it gets even stranger. Outside, four rabbits in a cage were dead. The male had three puncture holes on its chest in the formation of a triangle. The other three female rabbits had more random punctures. And then the part of the cage had been violently torn apart. According to Conde, who went to photograph the animals, none of the holes bled. These attacks do not make any sense. He and I talked about what would take a leg from each parakeet and leave the birds alive in the bottom of the cage, what would kill animals only to take biopsy punches of tissue over and over and over again. And then the question that everybody asks, and no one knows for certain, is there any connection between the animal deaths in Puerto Rico and UFOs? Well, photographer Eddie Condi told me that back in November, in a city called Vega Baja, northwest of San Juan, a seven-year-old girl was standing in the front yard of her house when she saw what she called a flying saucer in the sky. 
And then she said she saw a red light come out of it, and it struck her arm, causing pain. Conde interviewed the family and said the little girl still has bumps on her arm where she said the light hurt her skin. The next day, 14 of the family's chickens were all found dead with puncture wounds. Everyone in Puerto Rico is asking the same questions that I and others have asked for a long time. Who or what is killing and mutilating animals on this planet and why and what is this chupacabra's creature that some people have seen up close and personal and it doesn't really fit much of anything as much as I've tried to match it up to primates that exist. Uh, primate monkeys have tails except for the chimps, uh, but this doesn't seem to sound like ants. It has wraparound eyes that one woman eight feet away said look like uh, solid, dark, gray, jello, very liquidy and wet-looking, big wraparound eyes. Great. And that's not a chimp. And, uh, uh, Linda, what do the have there been postmortems on these chickens, uh, autopsies, uh, looking into any chemical, any chemical, anything induced or blood taken out, or what do we know? Yes, I talked with Dr. Carlos uh, Soto on Friday at great length. He has had several animals brought to his veterinarian clinic, and he said that two of the strangest were one was a guinea hen that when he laid it on its back. It had this three-pronged, triangular-shaped puncture wound, just like what they found on uh, the big male rabbit Thursday. Right. And it was on the breast of the guinea hen. And this was interesting. When he opened up the bird in necropsy, he said, in the chest, separate from the three triangular uh, punches, um, there were four holes that did not seem to correspond with any surface trauma where uh, the bird's feathers or skin were. He couldn't find bruises or punctures, and he still doesn't know how these uh, four holes were made. Uh, he also clarified that on the birds that he has examined, the puncture holes have gone right through the feathers, the skin, the muscle tissue, uh, and in some cases even down uh, deeper uh, into bone. And this was exactly the description in the Canary Islands off the coast of Africa back in the 70s. Any uh, chemical analysis or anything odd found there? It costs money, a lot of more money, to do toxicology and sure. chemistry. And sure. unfortunately, uh, no one there has any additional funds to do anything. Uh, this Dr. Soto uh, has examined the animals that people have brought to him because he's very curious. He would like to understand when he has something. He did send some tissue to Dorado, which is a laboratory on the north side of the island, um, but as I understand it, no one, including Dr. Soto, has been getting reports back from Dorado, Dorado. And Dorado has also sent some tissue to Roche and Ames Labs in the United States. Really? If, if those lab reports have come back to someone and exist, I haven't been able to find anyone who knows the data. And what it boils down to is a veterinarian, a very conscientious man, who has seen enough animals and says there is something highly unusual, and he does not know how to match up any natural explanation with what he has been seeing. Well, let me ask this, Linda. I know that in the past you've been involved with foundations that give grants for study in these kinds of areas domestically in this country and uh, uh, look at uh, some, some cattle mutilations, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, that one year in 94, John Altschiller and I had a, a, a grant. Okay, well, so there's no chance that money could be directed toward getting samples sent to a place where we could be damn sure we'd get a good report. Well, that's what I and some others have been hoping. Uh, we do need another larger research grant in order to do this effectively, and uh, I don't know if it is going to come into place, but that's exactly what we have been hoping would happen. And when I was in Puerto Rico uh, for those 10 days, it was an effort to see if we could, in fact, uh, build stronger bridges between what's happening there and our efforts in the United States uh, to research more scientifically and medically. And we are trying to get uh, air samples, uh, tissue samples, and graph samples from Puerto Rico now, even if some of us are just paying it for it ourselves. So it is a challenge in all of this to have the funds to do all this correctly. And in Puerto Rico, they have a serious problem of funding. I would think that you would have bumped into some sort of governmental authority. In other words, they ought to be interested at the government level in Puerto Rico or here in what the hell is going on. Yes, and the Department of Agriculture has put out uh, its own request uh, to certain people at the University of Puerto Rico Medical Center. Uh, there are political people like the mayors of some of the cities that have been affected. The civil defense is very involved on the island. But when you meet and talk with those people, and, th and remembering that Puerto Rico is an island which essentially does not have many resources. Right. Those people are in the same situation that I and others who try to do our work on our own, uh, and we are not officially funded, quote-unquote, by a legislature or a government to do it. They're in the same position, and they do the best they can. And that's where we really do need some kind of a more organized and financed effort to, for, to stake out almost on that island and see what more we can learn. All right, Linda, we, we, professional. We've, got to, we've got to pause right there. It's a good place to hold it. Uh, Linda Moulton, how is our guest? Back in a moment. I'm still thinking about parakeet legs. That one bothered me. I know. It bothers me, too. And if uh, the story that we might be dealing with beings coming from a future timeline who have a serious survival problem, and they've come back uh, to gather genetic material from this planet, to watch over this planet, whatever the scenario, then it's possible that everything that is happening is for a good and better reason than we can imagine. Right. But back in the 1970s, when animal mutilations were occurring worldwide on a regular basis, including the vampire of Mocha in Puerto Rico, again, it was there 27 years ago, there was a rash of unusual killings in the Snohomish, Washington area, where Bigfoot had also been seen and has been seen since. And... Uh, even prints uh, have been seen and cast made of it. Recently, a man had an encounter in March 1977 that illustrates how the UFO phenomena can camouflage itself with the sound of a helicopter that turns into a UFO 
or can use holographic-like images to frighten people, or perhaps, as in Betty Lucas' uh, experience, to inspire her. Remember the phoenix bird metaphor uh, that uh, we've had a lot of discussions with her about, and whether it was holographic or placed in her mind, it was not real in the sense that we would say that we could touch the floor, but it seemed to be trying to teach her something. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And this appears to be part of this phenomenon, which always stuns, confuses, and completely disorients humans at the time. And later, they realize, and in this case with this man, that these beings did something to frighten this man, perhaps to keep him away from them, but he was not hurt. Now, the man prefers to remain anonymous, but gave me permission to replay excerpts of our conversation on Dreamland. Excellent. His story began around 3 o'clock in the afternoon when he was cutting underbrush from the swampy forest behind his house. From nowhere, a small being appeared dressed in a sparkly, metallic blue bodysuit. The eyewitness thought that the being looked like a four-foot-tall, old man with pale skin that appeared to be scarred, like burn scars. And Bud Hopkins and others have had drawings of abductees who have drawn the surface of some of the beings that they've encountered as looking like it was a pox with scars. Now, what follows on tape is the eyewitness's account of what happened next. Yeah, so Hicks, stuff is right. Yeah, it's like he gets all blurry, and it's like he's doing a, it's like he's vibrating. Okay. It's like his features are contorted. Okay. And that's when I got puzzled. And of course, this all happened in seconds. And it, it's like he's standing there, vibrating, almost uh, like he's doing a, doing a, a jitterbug something, vibrating away. And, uh, down through the trees comes another guy. And this other guy, while he's coming down, it sounds like a hive of bees. And he's got a metallic blue uniform on. And if you was back there in that foot, you'd wonder how those guys get down. Because those big trees, the limbs would actually overlap each other in place. You know what I'm saying? It looked like this thing was inside some kind of a tunnel of air. And looking back on it, like a, if I was to say what it was, it, it looked to me like kind of a technologically advanced form of an elevator. In, in other words, I feel like there was something maybe, maybe a mile up in the sky that has technology to make a wind tunnel. And these things go up and down the side of a wind tunnel. Because when the second guy comes down, like they say coming down, they sound just like a hive of knees. And uh, so coming from the south headed north, there's a, a noise. I, I thought it was kind of like a, in some ways, like a real smooth sounding helicopter. It had a kind of a high-pitched whine to it. So it gets up. To practically above our heads and motor cuts, I hear some popping sounds, and I look up, and here's a flying saucer, and it's dropping like a ton of lead. And I'm thinking that thing 
and it lets out a noise, and it goes like that. And the wind from that thing, that that when it did that, it, it stopped in the air there above the treetops. And the wind from it when it did that, it was flipping these big fir trees back and forth so violently. I, I thought the top was going to snap on them and fall down on us. I mean, these trees are just flipping around violently. And my clothes are flopping back and forth, and my hair was flying all around. And, and uh, that thing up there, you can hear air coming out of it, and you can hear kind of like a bearing on the outside. And to me, it kind of reminded me of a train going along a track. Because they can hear a clickety-click, clickety-click, clickety-click. Mm-hmm. And now that flying saucer is over my head. And they're probably, you know, I'd estimate maybe 50, 60 feet away. Mm-hmm. It's over my head and it's over their head. Mm-hmm. And it's up there hovering. How big? Uh, well, in diameter, I'd say 50, 60, 70, 80 feet, something like that. Okay. And at that treetop level? Well, it's probably 20 to 30 feet above well, the top of the tallest tree there. But okay. It, it's up there, and it's, it's like they're staring over at me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's just like I'm standing still, and it's almost like I'm scared to even swallow. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking if I stand real still, maybe maybe they didn't even see me, you know. And, and uh, anyway, uh, somewhere in this situation, and, and this really sounds like a BS yarn, it's like over there way these specks collected together, and like it, it's like they collected together in the shape of a, a wolf with horns and a long tail, and these specks collected together, and they move towards me real fast, and it's like I couldn't even duck. And it's like, when they get to me, I, I, it's like I got an electric shock, which really makes it sound like a BS shock. No. I know it does. No. Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, you saw the color of the, the sparkle or the glue. Can you describe the color of what it was that suddenly formed in the air out of which this wolf with the, um, the tail came? Well, it's like it didn't have any color. I would, to me, it's like probably in the old days when you would watch a black and white television. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh. You mean it had a black and, or like an X-ray look to it? Uh, well, I, I don't feel like it was a real animal, but I mean. But it was like you were seeing a picture form in the air and then come at well, you. To me, it was kind of like transparent, like, like specks collected together. I, I can't even explain it. it and so this object, or, or this, this, we'll call it these particles formed into this image. It's, it's coming towards you. Yeah, it's like it's, it's, it's on me. I mean, it's like the collect is in, in, in a, on me. That's, that's all I can say. Okay, and then what happened? It, it seems to me like when this took place, it's like I felt like it's being laughed at. Like maybe there's cackles or something. Okay. So, Art. I have never heard a better description of both the camouflage of sound and then what appears to be some kind of either a projected image 
uh, in this case it seemed to be outside of his mind and projected at him, that has been described in the literature but seemed to be used in this case both to either keep him away and at the same time convey information that they were making fun with him, of him a wolf with horns and a tail is like some of the mythological characters of history sure in a is. funny, strange way. No, you know, as I listened, I thought his story was very credible. Oh, yes. And in fact, Art, to back this up tonight, I talked with a, a man who worked for the sheriff's office in that community in the 70s. He knows man. He backed up the whole story. He was out there. He interviewed him. He took photographs of strange, he said very strange tracks in France in that swamp. He said that at the time that this man was reporting to the sheriff's office, the fact that not only was this happening out there, but the whole series of animal mutilations, which I'll get to in a minute, but he said people all over that valley were calling the sheriff's office reporting all kinds of odd lights and odd sounds and uh, encounters with strange things. And I think that this man is describing exactly what happened to him, and it underscores that this phenomenon, whether it comes from the future, another dimension, another solar system in this galaxy or another galaxy beyond, that its way of communicating with itself and the way that translates to us is very different and that these uses of, uses of holographic images, almost theatrical images, it was in the Betty Andresen case, now Betty Andresen, Luca. It, that kind of theatrical, metaphorical production was very much a part of that case also. Absolutely. Fascinating. You said uh, there was more? Yeah. After this, because this story had so many parts to it, I thought tonight I would just convince that these beings then just walk off. They have absolutely shocked him to his core. He is standing there numb. They walk off, he thinks it's all over, sure. and here comes a Bigfoot, eight foot tall, four inch long, solid black hair, doesn't even look at him, and just goes striding right by him, standing there, numb as can be, and sure. continues right behind those beings. Oh, boy. Now, the, the uh, man who worked with the sheriff's office told me tonight, and this is the part this man uh, who did not know. He said that he took photographs of deer that were found hanging with excisions of the rectum and genitals and other parts were found hanging on trees in oh, that brother. area back in 77. Oh, brother. Now, are they related to the Bigfoot phenomena? One of our listeners this year, I have never done this interview yet, and he was an elderly gentleman who sent me a drawing, also from the 70s, and said that he had been out hunting and that he saw a, a, a sort of hairy, big, primate-looking creature carrying a deer in its arm and watched it put the deer over a branch on a tree. Oh, my goodness. So, are we dealing with a some kind of another intelligence that has Bigfoot working for it also on our planet? That's a big question mark. I don't know. 
Uh, it is a big question mark. Uh, or is it just some, or is Bigfoot one more manifestation of these beings? Well, it certainly leaves track. Uh, there is a colleague of mine in Illinois who has been uh, studying this for a long time, and he has photographs of a plaster of Paris footprints left in many parts of this country uh, that range from the so-called uh, three-foot, which I think is more consistent with the Yeti uh, over in the other part of the world in the right. uh, Mount Everest area, Correct. Uh, to uh, deep prints. I mean, they're huge, they're long, they're, they're obviously it's something that's heavy and deep, and that would have to be a physical creature that would leave those tracks. But how do you reconcile that with the rancher in Montana in 1976, who shot with a .30-06 rifle at an eight-foot-tall, hairy creature that he said looked like uh, a big primate standing in front of him. And when he shot, that creature disappeared in a flash of light. I, I don't reconcile that, and I wouldn't try. Uh, Linda, we are uh, at the end of it again. Uh, tell everybody how to get hold of you, how to get your publications. Okay. There are contact numbers, so give them out. All right. Uh, thanks, Art. It's been a pleasure to be on for an hour with some of this tonight, and uh, I would look forward to hearing from people. I have a new mailing address. It is Post Office Box 300 at Jameson, Pennsylvania, J-A-M-I-S-O-N, zip code 18929-0300. And the uh, 800 toll-free number for information about my work is 800 800- Seven zero seven nine 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 three. That's eight hundred seven zero seven nine 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 three. And for people who like the fax, it's two one five four nine one nine eight four two. All right, Linda, you're a darling. And uh, I guess next week at the regular time. Yes, at the regular time, and I'll have a very special report uh, from New York City on a new program upcoming about the uh, the mysterious origin of man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Linda, and good night in Philadelphia. All right, everybody, that's it. I've got one item here, and that is my book. We've got a 